0: Welcome to episode 156 of the Introvert Entrepreneur podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and welcome. I am so glad that you are sharing this time with me. If you've been hanging out with me for a while, you know that I first trained to be a professional musician prior to entering the worlds of nonprofit administration and entrepreneurship and coaching. I started playing the clarinet in fifth grade, joining band about a month after my fellow students had already started. My Type A personality and immediate connection to the instrument meant that I practiced constantly, much to the consternation, I'm sure, of my parents and neighbors. But the result was it only took me two weeks to go from last chair in the clarinet section to first. And in the band world, the first chair clarinet is a leader, often acting in the same role as the concertmaster in the violin section of the orchestra. Looking back, it was probably my first experience with being seen as being the best at something or being seen as a leader. From that point on, I saw myself as a leader, and as such, others saw me in that way and mentored me in that direction. As music performance majors in undergrad, there wasn't a fixed first chair. We rotated. And of course, all being music majors, we were all good, so competition for prized parts was fierce. I spent my fair share of time sitting second chair, which at first didn't sit well with me, so to speak. But over time, I grew to appreciate the role. I didn't have the pressure of solos and being in the spotlight. I was part of the sonic support that provided the foundation for wherever the melody lived. As a choir alto, I appreciated that the harmony my part added made the sound richer than if the leader in the first chair was just playing alone. And most of all, I realized that there was an art to being a good second chair performer. I didn't need to be the leader to have a voice or to make something beautiful. I could focus on being the best I could be without the stress of first chair responsibilities. Of course, I still loved being first chair when it was my turn, but the second chair experiences taught me that commitment and excellence mattered, no matter if one was a leader or a follower playing a supporting role. It taught me that every member of the team was important and that the attitude and buy-in from the followers could make or break the leaders. My guest today helps us to explore what it means to be a good follower in a world that puts leadership on a pedestal. This is important information not just for followers, but for leaders as well. As I mentioned towards the end of the interview, people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. If followers can learn to embrace their role and leaders can learn to set their followers up for success, then maybe there will be more respect and trust up and down the ranks of an organization. And this is true whether you're a cog in the wheel, so to speak, or the founder of your own company. So let's get on with the conversation. My guest today is Norman Baldwin. He is professor of political science at the University of Alabama, where he has served as director of graduate programs, undergraduate programs, and the master of public administration program. Arguably, UA's most highly honored faculty member of the 21st century. Baldwin is the recipient of the Morris Mayer Award, Buford Peace Award, Other Club Person of the Year Award, Outstanding Commitment to Students Award, Service Project of the Year Award, and the Samuel S. May Award. And we are talking to him in the context of his new book called Winning at Following. You'll find links to Norman's book and other resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Hi Norman, welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur podcast. I am happy to be welcoming you to the show today.
1: Well, thank you, I'm excited to uh, visit with you.
0: Well, what is making you smile today?
1: Well, interestingly enough, my mother is making me smile. Uh, mm-hmm. She's in a unique situation where she is uh, in hospice. She's uh, actually in the process of dying. She's blind mm-hmm. and demented, but she is just this incredibly happy, pleasant person. Uh, she doesn't remember a lot, but when I'm with her, uh, she loves to sing, and she just brings a smile to my face thinking about her.
0: Oh, Nice. I've heard, you know, there's so many stories about, like, the importance of music and how much that is a, a comfort and a, something that um, helps the quality of life of someone that's in your mother's condition. Yeah. Um, so that's lovely to hear.
1: Well, it, uh, it's a riot, she, her memory is shot, but she remembers the lyrics to a lot of old songs from the 40s. <laughs> yeah.
0: Isn't that amazing?
1: Really pretty cute. Yeah. yeah the is
0: brain amazing. is amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I want to start out
0: by offering some context to listeners about um, okay. as we jump into the conversation about where you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum, and how has that awareness influenced your path?
1: Well, I'm um, what you call an ambivert, I guess mm-hmm. do. People who you interview call them interview call themselves ambiverts. Ever? Yes. I, I have qualities of, of both the extrovert and the introvert. And my job—I was at one time a little more extroverted. The nature of my work, I think, has has caused me to become much more introverted than I used to be.
2: Yeah.
1: It's the kind of the writing, the academic dimension of the research that I do through my job.
0: Are, are you a, a teacher in the classroom as well?
1: Yes. Yeah. Right and. Uh, being an ambivert is kind of as i think uh, especially appropriate for my role as a faculty member because i the introvert side is very appropriate for doing the research and writing, and the extroverted dimension is great for the classroom and the students
0: yeah I hear a lot of you know teachers say you know surprisingly i 'm an introvert and and I wonder how many of them are actually. Um, you know, leaning more towards that ambivert side that um, because they they have to have something that allows them to get up in front of people <laughs> like that every yeah. day
1: <laughs> well I think it's interesting because I think most of my colleagues are introverts um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't preclude them being extremely articulate and very interesting yes. I think introverts so oftentimes are are more thoughtful when they speak um, Mm -hmm. and certainly obviously bright enough to develop strong speaking skills, but it causes, I think, some people like students and others that hear an introvert speak to think that they're extroverts when they're really not. And so they have a different experience with them one-on-one than what they experience in a classroom or when they hear them speak in, in public.
0: Oh yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that students are actually getting to see really closely both sides of that person's energy and personality.
1: Right. Well, one of the most interesting introverts uh, where I teach is is Nick Saban, who's, I think most people would consider him the finest college football coach in the country right now. Nick mm-hmm. is a tremendous public speaker, but he's very introverted, mm. but he does his job and he does it well, but... Uh, he would rather live the life of the mind than be mm. uh, speaking all the time. But when he has to speak, he's terrific.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like I think whenever introverts find their calling, which it sounds like he has, yeah. then um, then we're able to walk that line with much more ease. Yeah. Well, it, it strikes me, you know, we're going to be talking about your book, Winning at Following, and that both of us are um, focused on topics where there's misunderstandings <laughs> and stereotypes yeah. and, um, and not a complete embracing of what it really means to be what we're talking about, in my case, introverts, in your case, followers. Um, so, so what spurred your interest in followership and led you to write Winning at Following?
1: Well, it's interesting. My uh, father was a professor, and uh, he was extremely well-rounded. He was an ambivert. He had great social skills, excellent wisdom, uh, just a very just person, and he read profusely and could relate to everybody. And I always thought, well, he should be a dean or a university vice president or president someday, and he had no desire to work mm-hmm. into any uh, leadership roles in a university. And I, I thought that was peculiar. I thought that was a strange because he was such a natural. Uh, mm-hmm. Another thing, I, I went into an administrative job in the university that was incredibly demanding. I was president of the faculty senate and, as a consequence, I uh, was accountable to 1,100 faculty members, uh, accountable to or, or led a 50-member faculty senate and a 17-member steering committee. And as it turned out, I ended up really not liking the leadership role. Mm -hmm. It seemed like all day long all I did was respond to email of complaining people. All I did was respond to email people who should have started other places than going to the top. So it was kind of like this clearinghouse all day long. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the end of the day when the email and interruptions ended that I could ever do something that was really, in my opinion, meaningful as a faculty senate president in terms of working on new policies and programs, and I was just kind of a crabby son of a gun. Yeah. And, uh,
0: <laughs> Understandably so, just listening to that, I'm
1: like, yeah, that would not be fun. <laughs> yeah, and, as, uh, and, and I realized, even though I love to teach about leadership, that I really didn't enjoy that leadership role, mm-hmm. um, and I've been in other leadership roles that were just stressful. And basically required me to do a variety of functions and activities, including some that I didn't enjoy. But then the, the third reason I got into the topic, there's some you know, academics that write, there's a small group of academics that write on followership, and it's always resonated with me. Plus, I just make simple observations that we, we teach about leadership all the time there are a jillion books written on leadership but all of us are followers Mm -hmm. so why don't we talk about this subject because it affects so many more people
0: absolutely Yeah. Well, let's let's um, talk for a second about that piece around, you know, like you said, there's literally a gazillion, and I'm sure that that is a technical term, right. that, <laughs> of books on leadership. You know, you you mentioned in the book that um, I, I can't remember exactly what the numbers were, but it was, it seemed like there was not even 10% of the books that are out there or articles were on followership yeah. that are on leadership. Um, and yet, like you said, it, the vast majority of us are followers. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so why don't we learn how to do that better, right? Um, But you know, so there's all this emphasis on the leadership conversation, Uh um, almost to the point of romanticizing it. it.
1: Well, absolutely.
0: What's the consequence of that? Like what's the almost the dark side, um, the unintended consequences of putting so much emphasis on something that it seems like, yes, everybody should want to aspire to be a leader, but um, at what cost?
1: Well, the cost is is that you know we're not really developing the skills and followers that we need to be developing.
2: Mm-hmm. There
1: isn't a I, I don't know of a modern management textbook that deals with uh, organization behavior that has a, a chapter on followership. Mm-hmm. Yet everybody in the classroom, whether it's an MBA or Master Public Administration program, is going to be a follower. They already are followers,
2: mm-hmm. so they're getting
1: no instruction there whatsoever, and and that. That's problematic. Uh, but people uh, don't like to talk about followership because essentially there's a, uh, an implied classism there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's problematic. And we try to use a language that prevents this sense of classism. But, uh, uh, and people even talk about managing up instead of followership and subordination. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it's problematic because, again, we're all followers, and yet nobody's getting any instructions on how to be a great follower.
0: Yeah, it seems that, um, that we, we almost shame the, the follower role. Um, that in, in some cases, the leadership is so revered that we think that if you're a follower, that is not a desirable position to be in, um, even though we're all there, like you said, <laughs> at some point.
1: Yeah, well, um, and, and the thing is, there so many great jobs are follower jobs yeah so, yeah. why would you aspire to be a leader when, for example, uh, as an academic who does research that you can do research all your life and never have to worry about all the demands that are placed on a dean or even a department chair? Mm-hmm. so yeah, my father loved being in the laboratory he was a microbiologist. I love being in the classroom, teaching my students
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: instead of you know being in the dean 's office um, yeah. you know people they are people that they want to be. Uh, An FBI agent working on a case, not somebody that's you know up the chain of command and is totally uh, you know removed from where the action is, so to speak, on the street.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, they're just great jobs as followers. So why would anybody want to be a leader when they're totally turned on? By what's going on at the lowest levels in an organization. Exactly.
0: It's like some people love to get their hands dirty. <laughs> um, and yeah. the leader doesn't always get to do that. Or, or the way they're getting their hands dirty is very different than what that person's um, calling is to be. Right. And um, I can see how that would lead to a lot of dissatisfaction.
1: Yes. I mean, why would you want to be a hospital administrator when you love working as a doctor healing people? Yeah. In, in yeah. general, there, there's tremendous satisfaction at the gratitude level of service provision so you know it's the social worker and the police person on a beat and the physician etc the architect that's working with the clientele directly that has such huge satisfaction in their jobs
0: yeah so since we're being constantly given this message be a leader be a leader um, and I would say even in the followers it's like be the leader of your own life. I mean, you know, that word leader is always constantly being um, kind of hammered home. Um, what can we do about that societal expectation that everyone is always aspiring to leadership or climbing the ladder? You know, people ask, well, what's wrong with you that you don't want the promotion or you don't want, you know, whatever that formal leadership position is? Um, how can we reframe the conversation so that it makes room for celebrating the role of the follower?
1: Yeah, well, I do think that it, it's done, but not done as well as it could be. But you know, we need to focus on people being uh, engaged in their passions,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so oftentimes people's passions are in followership roles. So uh, you know, it's not—it's like if a professional athlete, your passion is playing baseball or football or whatever. It's not being a coach. It's not working in management. Uh, I mean sometimes we overlook how, how many great jobs there are in follower mm-hmm. roles, and, mm-hmm. uh, and in many ways, again, the most exciting jobs are those jobs at a grassroots level when you 're dealing with clientele directly that have the most meaning to people, where they really see the differences, the changes that are being made so uh, I, the other thing I mean it 'd be nice to develop a language mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. nobody's come up with quite the terminology that somehow doesn't offend people uh, or doesn't seem to not dignify people enough. There is this managing up movement, so to speak, but it hasn't caught on. I don't think people, when they talk about managing up, I don't think people recognize that as followers learning how to um, manage their bosses and, and uh, you know, the leadership. So, yeah. But no, I mean, it is a challenge. And you know we got to continue to grapple with it, but we just have to continue to write and putting the word out there that w- that followers need more attention,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that the entire management field is kind of missing the boat by neglecting this critical uh, element in an organization. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: in your book, Winning at Following, um, you outline the traits of the ideal follower, um, the top three of yeah. which include what I would think of as kind of, at least on the on the surface, more extroverted qualities, such as speaking up, yeah. um, just doing it, and being highly interactive. What advice do you have for the more introverted follower that might not have a natural disposition for those particular traits?
1: The thing that's interesting is that I think intro. maybe I'm an introvert chauvinist. Introverts are terrific. Um, But the bottom line, when you talk about being an effective communicator, uh, introverts Mm -hmm. are great at effectively communicating. So oftentimes, so much of our communication is electronic. It's in writing. And introverts typically are superb at writing compared to extroverts. And the other thing is, I mean, one of the things that I talk about as far as instruction on how to be an effective communicator is to uh, speak up, but then shut up and listen, and mm-hmm. introverts are better about shutting up and listening.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you
1: talk about uh, the whole issue of, of being active instead of passive, I don't think of introverts being passive at all. I mean, there are some, right. but they're active in an in introverted way, um,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so oftentimes the nature of of the work out there requires the thoughtfulness, that kind of withdrawn to the inside, in order to function effectively in jobs because the nature of the work it involves reflection and rumination and analysis, uh, et cetera. Yeah. But when we talk about, essentially, uh, introverts being interpersonally skillful,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you think, well, an introvert isn't necessarily interpersonally skillful, and I disagree with that. Yeah, I think uh, introverts oftentimes are incredibly skillful when it comes uh, to dealing with other people in the sense that they have enough sense to... Uh, not take the stage
2: mm-hmm. but to
1: take an interest in others uh, to ask questions uh, uh, and introverts are also very well spoken they're thoughtful before they open their mouth uh, they think about what they say and so I think introverts are extremely interpersonally competent and effective communicators and they're, they are active, they're just mm-hmm. active in an introverted way so I think they can do all three of the leading qualities of follower and do it extremely well.
0: Yeah. Uh, yep, I absolutely agree. And I appreciate that you're, you're talking about reminding yeah. us that, that to own the introverted way that you do those things, that the way yeah. we speak up, the way we just do it, the way we interact is going to, um, we're still doing those things, but it's going to look different. I'll never forget one of the earliest presentations I did many years ago talking about kind of the differences in introverts and extroverts. And somebody in the room said, well, I can't really have introverts on my team because we need to get stuff done. <laughs> It was like, really? yeah, and I was like, wow. Okay, tell that to um, Bill Gates, or <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, who is right. a leader, but you know, tell that to all of these introverts who um, have been both followers and leaders who have made things happen and big things.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, so your message is so important for that.
1: Yeah, it is very interesting, and I think introversion, in my mind, is kind of a state of mind that mm-hmm. talks about. People living the life of the mind, and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the overt behavior is incompatible with what the ideal follower needs to do. Yeah. You
0: know, let's say if we either choose or we find ourselves in that follower role, what's the most important thing for us to be aware of about ourselves or our environment if we're going to succeed in that followership place?
1: Well, the thing that's interesting about my book is I do talk about, here are the ideal qualities of a follower, and and I mainly focus on three. Um, But that's actually just kind of the first third of the book, because the last two-thirds of the book are all about uh, not just satisfying the boss as being the ideal follower, but satisfying yourself. Mm. And and you do that several different ways. And one is is to to know your followership style and to pair yourself with the right environment that works with your followership style. But I talk a lot about present all the data on what brings job satisfaction and job dissatisfaction. So uh, not only do you want followers to develop these ideal qualities, but you want them to essentially pursue jobs in organizations that will make them most satisfied and avoid organizations that have the the features uh, of that really foster dissatisfaction
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know really talk about uh, for example followers uh, first and foremost looking for well-designed jobs that are intrinsically motivating that are interesting meaningful that give them autonomy
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that let them use a variety of skills etc um, you know we talk about them pursuing jobs or finding uh, jobs and work environments that are very just and fair and find jobs that will be very satisfying because management behaves with integrity. Um, and in addition, there's a, you know, a list of types of organizations that followers should avoid. And mm-hmm. they should avoid organizations that are steeped in organization politics, where there's a lot of role conflict and role ambiguity and where uh, organizations don't honor their contracts, where there's breach of contracts. Hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not enough to say, here are the qualities developed, and it's like, no. Uh, here are the type of organizations you need to look for to work in, and here are the types that you need to avoid. Yeah. And then I end my book on basically talking about uh, here, are great jobs for followers. Here, here are jobs that we know really bring tremendous uh, happiness and satisfaction. Here, are jobs to avoid.
0: What's a couple of examples of both to um, look for and to avoid in terms of jobs?
1: Well, what is fascinating is that there are jobs basically that people think that are very attractive that actually aren't. And so, mm-hmm. when we're talking about some unattractive jobs. They're jobs like uh, a newspaper reporter's job. It pays mm-hmm. poorly. Uh, the hours are bad. Uh, it's stressful. But things like police officer, disc jockey, a broadcaster, a newspaper uh, reporter, enlisted military, be all that you can be, it's not that way. Those are all jobs mm-hmm. that don't pay well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're high stress. Mm-hmm. You work bad hours, etc. And in turn, as far as some of the jobs that actually are quite good jobs that, that that pay well, that are interesting, you work decent hours, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, there are three jobs I never would have guessed, and one is like a dental hygienist, another is an actuary, mm-hmm. and another is a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is the jobs that I encourage people to take a look at more carefully, especially when they're preparing themselves educationally, is that a lot of the leading jobs are more technical than uh then i would have guessed and it's like jobs as engineers are great jobs
2: mm-hmm. again
1: in terms of of uh, being interesting work having to work normal hours getting paid well uh jobs is you know, like uh, dealing with computer computer analyst, and jobs associated uh with the general area of finance being a financial planner a financial analyst a portfolio manager so and so some of these you wouldn't guess were great jobs when it turns out when they do systematic research that people actually love these jobs uh mm. that we wouldn't think we're all that great and then some of the jobs we think are great people actually don't like them very much <laughs> Right,
0: <laughs> life's cruel joke
1: <laughs> yeah well, exactly
0: well what do we do about then Those jobs that you listed, like you know, police officer and broadcaster and newspaper reporter, those are like necessary jobs to a a functioning and healthy society. So, is there a a a place? Like, do you have hope for those? um, In terms of what you found?
1: Yeah. Well, here's the deal: is that you know what I've taught in the classroom for the past thirty six years, and will emphasize this in my book, is that we teach the very best theories. We teach Uh, Essentially, what has the greatest probability of working. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, nothing is a perfect explanation in the softer sciences. And so, what I teach is that in the absence of complete information, go with your best generalization.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And the best generalization for most people is don't become a cop or newspaper (laughs) reporter. But in the presence of complete information, It may be that you are meant to be a newspaper reporter. It fits you perfectly. You are meant to be a police officer. Um, And it's interesting uh, that, yeah, I mean, all the unattractive jobs can be the ideal job for uh, a unique person Mm -hmm. who is extremely well-suited. But when we talk about the average Jill or Joe, uh, there are certain great jobs that people wouldn't think were great jobs, and there are certain... Bad jobs that uh, seem to have a lot of appeal.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it seems to bring me back to my original observation about how you and I are talking about a similar dynamic in our society and. And what you just said there is about like we can say there are certain things that are ideal or not ideal, but in the end, it the most important thing is to have awareness about your own skills, your own interests, your own passion, absolutely, and to pay attention to those and and to go into it with eyes wide open.
1: Right. And Um, I would. But the other thing is, I think people need to go into uh, their education with eyes wide open, so that mm -hmm. they would. Take a course in civil engineering, for example, or take a course in financial markets uh, in order to to see whether, yeah, this actually is actually something they'd be interested in or it really misses the boat and i uh, knowing my my own personal experiences and and pursuing careers and all, I never thought of being an architect but and getting to know what architects do and so my natural inclinations as an adult. I should have seriously considered becoming an architect, but I just didn't think that was mm-hmm. a very interesting, stimulating job when I was younger.
0: Yeah, I've always thought our education system is kind of flawed, that you know we're 18 years old and we're expected to declare a major and invest thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> in something that influences our future. <laughs> So um, yeah, yeah. so I appreciate that message, and, and I feel like, you know, it's never too late to start. Um, yes. Uh, there's that proverb, uh, what is it, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, the next best time is now. Um, oh,
1: that's great. I love that. sign.
0: So, yeah, well, well, what is the most surprising or enlightening finding to emerge from writing Winning at Following?
1: Well, I think those bad jobs that I didn't think were bad jobs, police officer, newspaper mm-hmm. reporter, enlisted, that was surprising, as well as uh, finding out that a dental hygienist and an actuary and a pharmacist's jobs were great <laughs> jobs. But um, besides that, uh, I uh, couldn't predict the leading qualities of a follower. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I've heard people, some people say, "Oh, it's common sense," and I say, "No, you know, there have been 300 qualities offered as the ideal qualities of followers, and I guessed they would have been." you want somebody that is competent, honest and responsible. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> uh, right. <yes. laughs> and I almost think submissive,
0: I, which is <laughs> terrible.
1: But. And so it was and 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 you know, and I encourage other people to read the book or to I in the book I have people guess what they think. The ideal qualities are to demonstrate that uh, something isn 't as common sense as we think because uh, yeah. you
2: know
1: I, a lot of people that i 've talked about the ideal qualities they miss when they guess, but yeah. they, there are a couple other things in the book. I also have a, a couple chapters where I write on followers uh, dealing with difficult bosses mm-hmm. and uh, like a bowling boss and a micromanager and I think two of the more interesting findings for me were that uh, when you're dealing with a bullying boss, don't be a yes person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you think we'll just go along whatever the bully wants and actually know bullies in the work environment want to succeed. And to the extent that you're saying yes to everything, you're not putting them in a direction to succeed. So you actually periodically need to stand up and say, no, we're going in the wrong direction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you can't say no to everything. You have to say no Uh, selectively Mm -hmm. the other thing that I found was interesting in teaching followers how to deal with micromanagers you you kind of think okay when we deal with problems in life you just go to the boss or go to the person and have a very civil respectful conversation well when you go to a micromanager and complain very civilly about micromanaging it totally backfires because the micromanager will think that you're trying to hide something and they'll micromanage Mm -hmm. you even more
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Well, it, it strikes me and, and what I hope that anyone listening to this, especially if they find themselves in that follower role, either by choice or by circumstance, um, that they absolutely read this book, but it, it strikes me it's also um, a leadership book. <laughs> enough, um, In that leaders would benefit from learning what they can about like, what does it mean to be a good follower? What should you look for in terms of building your team? You know, how can you understand those kinds of dynamics and, and put yourself in their shoes? in order to become a more effective leader.
1: Yes. Well, the the thing that I really want leaders to do is to pick up this book and read about mm-hmm. what brings job satisfaction and what brings yes. job dissatisfaction to your followers.
0: Exactly. And
1: yeah, if they'll read... That well, that one particular chapter, uh, yeah, yeah, I will feel that'll make a difference in the way they treat followers. Hopefully, yeah. So yeah, I do think the book is also for leaders for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I, I think of that statistic that I, I don't know the exact numbers or anything, but it says like people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses, and it seems like this would go a ways in helping that perhaps shift.
2: Yes
1: sure absolutely
0: well Norman thank you so much I feel like we could keep talking about this because it's such a well, it's, me too. It's such a rich topic and <laughs> I'm is. so glad um, you wrote your book and it was such interesting timing because I had just been talking with a friend she was talking about her you know 21 ish year old son She she said something like she's like he just doesn't seem that interested in being a leader or you know taking that role and I said well maybe he's meant to be a follower. yeah, And, and so that got us, you know, conversing about it. And then the next thing I know, uh, your book crosses my awareness. And yeah. here we are. So, um, so I'm excited for people to to dig into this. So thank you.
1: Well, here's the deal. And there'll be people that read the book that they may want to be leaders, but that for whatever reason, they get stuck in follower roles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can exercise tremendous power as a follower. Oh, yes. But don't have to deal with all the nonsense that the leader puts up.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, and we're talking about a leader having to give people bad performance evaluations, uh, denying people promotions and pay raises. You can avoid essentially firing people, giving <laughs> yeah. them bad mm-hmm. assignments, resolving the conflicts with other employees that you end up having to mediate. Uh, so all that can be avoided, but still uh, smart followers can exercise tremendous leadership power. Absolutely. Uh, through any number of ways uh, through working the informal network and working closely with leaders and other informal leaders etc.
0: Well, your book is going to help them be stronger followers. And that's a gift. So thank you so much for doing that.
1: Well, thank you.
0: I want to wave a magic wand. Okay. <laughs> and, and grant you a three-week vacation on Introvert Island. Okay. And as part of the deal, you can only take three books with you. Okay. What would you take with you and why?
1: Well, that, that's a great question. And I, I've got three favorite books, but I thought I've already read them. (laughs) But but I I, I do have three favorite books. And uh, one is I've always liked uh, very scientific approaches to uh, spiritualism uh, Mm -hmm. and religion. And I've always loved M. Scott Peck's writing. I love The Road Less Traveled. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a wonderful Non imposing spiritual book that's great for people who are skeptics and great for people who have the scientific mind. And Proof of Heaven by even Alexander is another one that's great. He had a near death experience and is able to explain the near death experience where he goes to the other side in a way that nobody else is able to explain it Mm -hmm. because he's a physician, a neurologist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, He's able to explain it essentially in a way that this couldn't be something that was fabricated in his mind. It's just part of a vivid dream yeah. that actually the parts of his brain that were dead when he had the near-death experience wouldn't allow him to dream that. Wow. So just to, again, I like the scientific approach to uh, questions of religion and spirituality. Yeah. Um, plus, I just, I, I'm a travel nut. I would just love to have the biggest, thick <laughs> travel guide for world traveling. I love Photos and Farmers, and if they had a Photos and Farmers book for the entire world, that would be my <laughs> ideal book to bring along, Excellent. too. So
0: there's a book still yet to be uh, produced. Yeah, well,
1: they they're both loads of Photos and Farmers, but if I'm stuck on the island, right. I, gosh, there's so many places about the world I'd love to travel to that I'd love to read about first. Nice.
0: Well, um, so what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about Winning at Following?
1: Yeah. They can contact me through my email address is just N Baldwin N B A L D W I N at ua.edu, at UA I also have uh, a web page uh, that's uh N B A L D W I N nbaldwin.people.ua.edu, dot okay, people uh, and that can connect you to a, a web page about the book, or you can just put a slash at the end of, of EDU and put winning-at-following. Great. And that will take you directly to the website that deals with, uh, that addresses the book.
0: Excellent. And I assume they can also find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Absolutely. other places. Great. Yeah. Well, I will, yeah. I will make sure that all of that information is in the episode show notes uh, to make it easy for people to reach out to you. So um, thank you so right. much, Norman. It's been a great pleasure, and thank you for your time.
1: Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure, too.
0: Thanks again for joining me for this episode today. Before we go, I have to mention this one last piece that relates to my music-making days, and it makes me smile, so I hope it makes you smile. There are fewer things on this planet that are more brilliant than far-side cartoons. And one of my absolute favorites shows some cavemen sitting in rows playing rocks. I suppose you could call them a rock band. With... But Chung Ching. Um, with the one in the second row bashing in the head of the caveman in the first row. The caption reads, Suddenly, second chair Granite Rock's jealousy of first chair Granite Rock becomes uncontainable. I still laugh out loud at that one, knowing exactly how that second chair Granite Rock caveman feels. So in the end, learning more about the art of followership by reading Norman's book and taking his advice might help avert violence and actually lead to world peace. A friendly reminder that you will find links to any resources mentioned in this podcast, including an image of that Farside cartoon I just described, as well as Norman's Introvert Island book selections, in the episode show notes at the introvertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. If you have questions, comments, or inquiries about coaching resources available to you through The Introvert Entrepreneur, I invite you to email me directly at beth at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. I also have limited openings in August for my insight strategy sessions, which are a great way to jumpstart your work as we leave the lazy days of summer behind us and gear up for a strong end to the year. You can learn more about those on my website at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. And if you're not already a subscriber to this podcast, it's a great idea to subscribe and take that step so that you always have the latest episode ready when it is released. I also invite you, if you haven't already, to check out my book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, Amplify Your Strengths and Create Success on Your Own Terms. It is available wherever fine books are sold. And if you've already read the book, um, I invite you to leave a review on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Goodreads. Your reviews help other people to know what they can expect from the book. So thank you so much for your consideration. And also a big thanks to Paul Messing, my podcast producer, and to my assistant Naja for the episode show notes. I am truly grateful for your support and work on these episodes. This is Beth Below of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.